Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. I'm pretty active on social media, but every now and then I have a friend of mine, actually several friends, who I think go a little bit overboard. I notice them sharing a lot of pictures of their two-year-old granddaughter here, there, everywhere. Another friend of mine has a nine-year-old daughter and does the same thing. He posts her in different pictures. He works on a farm every now and then, put her on a John Deere tractor, making it look like she was plowing the back 40. But the fact is the photos sometimes don't stop. <laughs> we see pictures of sonograms, bathtub photos, children eating cereal, performing magic tricks, taking a pratfall on the sidewalk, learning to ride a bike, spitting up on grandpa. Parents always have their smartphone, and even grandparents these days, handy to snap a photo, edit it with a filter or something, and then post it. And my question is, do we need all of these photos? This obsession is often, and a new phrase that's been coined called, sharenting. This is oversharing details about your kids or grandkids on social media. And of course, you may recognize the word as a combination of sharing and parenting. As a word, it began having traction somewhere in 2013, and now it appears in several of our standard dictionaries, believe it or not. But think about the word sharing all by itself. It literally has taken on a new meaning in this technological age. Originally, it meant to divide something so that portions could be given to oneself and others, a sharing of something. But now it also means to post and repost something on social media. The nature of the internet means that recipients receive not merely a portion, but the whole thing. If not one picture, 101 pictures. But recently, there's been a different problem with this sharenting that's been pointed out by many authorities. Sharenting completely overrides what privacy rights the child may have. In their extreme forms, this parent sharing of their children's information has led to a phenomenon known as digital kidnapping. That's when children's photos and details have been appropriated by others to promote the kids as being their own. Also, some of these photographs have turned up on the wrong websites. Some of the info that has been used by predators to target children once they got it all on the web. But even assuming nothing bad comes of it, this information is a way of lingering out there online, even if parents eventually take it down. This may be especially true when a parent is blogging or writing about a difficulty of parenting a child with discipline or self-control issues. Some of this has been reshared in search engines like Google can store that information, providing an opportunity for rediscovery long after the issue that led to that disclosure has been resolved. For some children, this becomes a problem, something they have to overcome as they get older. There's no opt-out link for kids when parents and grandparents go to share these things. And they're not yet at the age to understand enough about life to exercise the option if there were one. 
but offspring might one day resent the disclosures made years earlier by their parents. But we all, those of us who are older, have pictures of our kids that we often say we'll use them to blackmail them in the future. But those kids today have social media and see all of the pictures, not just the ones the parents want to keep for an important day. So we come to our gospel reading today from Matthew, and we have a case of sharenting. It's not enough for Jesus to have his shining moment with Moses and Elijah, but dear old dad has to interrupt Jesus and his pals by bragging about his son. God did the same thing when Jesus was baptized. Now here, God's at it again. This is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. And this event is with the baptism gets reposted by other gospel writers. But what's really going on here? To understand what happened, what we often call the transfiguration, it's helpful to look at the context. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he knows what's awaiting him. His mind must have been occupied with thoughts of his upcoming suffering and death at the hands of others. Maybe he even wondered if in fact the kingdom of God could truly even happen through such an event that would look to all the world like a failure if it happened that way, on a failure of his life and of his mission. And in that context, the transfiguration comes about. And so it serves as God's signature on the choice and commitment that Jesus has made. In some sense, the whole reading audience for the whole event is Jesus himself. Think about it for a minute. The very voice that commissioned him at his baptism comes one more time to reassure him and the three disciples that are with him. To reassure them that the road ahead that leads to the cross is the one they need to be on. It is the right one. Clearly, God's statement about Jesus is the central focus of this situation here on the mountain. But it's sharing in the sense that it is addressed to the three disciples and by extension to you and I today. This is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So it's okay. It's shared with us. We can't put that camel back in the tent, but how do you go about listening to Jesus? God continues to tell us, listen to him. So in what forms do his words come to you to which you are to listen? Of course, the New Testament brings some of his words to light, but many don't listen to all of them in the sense that they let them change their behavior, if you will. Really, how much of the Sermon on the Mount, for example, informs you how to live out your daily life in word and in deed? But even assuming you did strive to let Jesus' words guide you in how you lived your life, when some Christians talk about listening to Jesus, they seem to be referring to fresh divine direction applied to the specifics of their own situation, not for everybody else. For example, Becky Hodges, writing on a Christian website, tells of turning her life over to Jesus at the age of 21 and then working to grow in her faith from that moment on. Listen to her words. She says, I, as I made more Christian friends, they would say things like, I had a word from the Lord or God has been speaking to me. And that seemed kind of strange. I got the read, study, and apply method, but I didn't get what hearing from God was all about. 
How would I know if it was me or him? Clearly, she's not distinguishing there between hearing from God and hearing from Jesus. But as she goes on to tell of her growing in the faith experience, she begins to focus on hearing from Jesus. And she gives some suggestions for trying to figure out when it's Jesus speaking to her or some idea that's just simply bouncing around in her own head. She even tells how she now audibly takes authority in the name of Jesus over her prayer time. And in any case, our Christian faith has long taught us that in Jesus, God can be seen as well. One biblical scholar, William Barclay, put it this way, when I see Jesus feeding the hungry, comforting the sorrowing, befriending men and women with whom no one else would have anything to do, I can say, this is God. Maybe some would say that when hearing a divine voice inside us, it might even be the Holy Spirit, who along with God the Father and God the Son, make up the Trinity. Again, William Barclay, writing about his own experience, says that he finds it difficult to distinguish between the Holy Spirit and the ever-present risen Lord. The Holy Spirit, he says, is Jesus' alter ego. That was a new idea for me. But Barclay says, I am content to think of the Spirit and the risen Lord as one, at least in action. But don't get lost or confused about which person of the Trinity you might be hearing from. For if the Trinity means anything, it is, as one person said, that the mystery beyond us, the mystery among us, and the mystery within us are all the same mystery. Once assured of that, the most urgent question for us is the same one that Miss Hodges wrestled with. How do you know if your hearing is Jesus or something from yourself? Remember, God said at the transfiguration in our scripture today, listen to him. There are a couple of things that the faithful down through the centuries have found helpful in distinguishing the voice of God from other voices. One of the first things we can do is look for fruit of the spirit as evidence. Paul, in writing to the people of Galatia, listed those fruits. In listening to the voice of God, we will see the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness. And then Ms. Hodges recommends this test. She says, if Jesus is speaking to me, then I should experience one or more of these things, right? So this is what I worked out with Jesus early on. She says, I asked him to please make me anxious if I'm not hearing his voice or if someone else told me something that isn't from him. On the other side, I asked that if it is his voice, to please give me a feeling of peace that washes over me from head to toe. Does that make sense? That if you're trying to figure out which voice you're listening to, that Jesus can make you anxious to make you understand it's not him. And on the other side, if it is him, you get a feeling of peace. Hodges says that Jesus has faithfully done this for me, and it's made me more confident in telling the difference between his voice and my own. The second thing we can look for is confirmation from the church and other people who are faithful to Jesus that you are hearing God. Run it by some people who seek to do God's will daily. Ms. Hodges says that she also asks Jesus for a sign of confirmation and then proceeds down the path of what she believes Jesus is calling her to do. 
She says, if doors fly open and it's natural, that means Jesus is in it. If I have to push to make everything work and doors keep slamming in my face, I get back into my prayer position. Fortunately, God did a lot of sharenting, if you will, not just on the mountain that day. The pattern of God's sharenting included the incarnation, the cross, the empty tomb, and continues to this day in many other ways. A man was out shopping with his fussy two-year-old son in the child seat of the cart that he was pushing. As he went along, he kept saying over and over in a calm voice, be patient, Billy, don't worry, you can handle this. A woman overheard him and stopped to share a word. Please excuse the interruption, but I just have to say I do so admire how good you are at reassuring little Billy. The dad said, oh, no, that's not Billy. My son's name is Patrick. I'm Billy. In today's sharenting outburst, God advises us to listen to Jesus. And Jesus will later say if we're going to follow him, we need to deny ourselves and pick up a cross. God's instruction at the transfiguration is to listen to Jesus' words because his words are the words of life, for he himself is the word. And that's something worth sharing, something worth reposting. As we approach Lent, beginning Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, I'm often struck at what people say they're giving up for Lent. Inevitably, I always hear the words chocolate and peanut butter or Reese's peanut butter cups to include both of those. But think about it. One of the greatest tools we have in this age of technology is social media. I have heard pastors say that for Lent this year, they're going to give up social media. Now, and some would say that's good for them. But during a time when we're to be repenting and turning back to God, wouldn't it be more important to share and repost about Lent and how we can get closer to God? Maybe that's what we need to do, continue to share and repost. Facebook has a engine that shows you memories that go back God knows how many years. One of the things Kathy and I each morning will go through our memories and we'll see how big our grandchildren have grown from one year to the next. It's pretty astonishing when you look. But some of the others are the funny posts and other things, but some of the things that I end up resharing and reposting are about faith. And I think that's what we need to do. In a world that needs more hope, in a world that needs more direction and guidance, we need to make America kind again. We need to let people know the love of Jesus Christ. And the only way that can happen is if we share it regularly. And if we're oversharing, our friends will let us know. But share. There are people hurting and in need of hope. And it's up to us to listen to him. Amen. As we're listening for Jesus' voice, we see the sight that the disciples saw up on the mountain. Jesus transfigured, listening 
and speaking with Moses and Elijah. And so we come together to sing, and we won't be singing the hymn that's listed. We'll be singing the one right next to it, number 258, O Wondrous Sight, O Vision Fair. Let's sing together.